0: okay Ooh, y'all made it I'm so proud of y'all this has been a great study for me just because y'all have showed up <laughs> so thank you so much um we are not going to end this study on last week's lesson because that was just too much I just couldn't handle it and um I really appreciate y'all sticking with it coming um being interested I was talking to the session this week at a session meeting about how this room has just um, I feel like y'all are just a there's a great vibe in here and y'all also are so interested in God's word and that is so so that is such a gift it is a gift for us to have as a church and as a community on Thursday morning so thank you and thank you Meredith let's give her a hand of applause for (laughs) ringing that bell and making coffee and keeping us on task so um, okay so This is a hard lesson for me um, because it's taking everything like a huge huge just like imagine the longest Thanksgiving table with every kind of food you want and somebody says here can you make a to-go plate for your mother and you're like oh I can't put it all on there so I'm gonna try I'm gonna try so anyway. So first of all, we're going to look at kind of three main things that we've studied. I can't touch it all. I can't get all the cranberry sauce on there. I just, you've been at the study. You can go back and get your own little what you loved. But what the first thing we definitely got the big picture of is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And this was basically a you-do-you you morality does that sound familiar um whatever makes you happy whatever is what you think is right it's not that you don't have right and wrong it's that you've created and decided what is right and wrong for you um and we see god's people in judges ignoring god's laws maybe fudging it just a little bit like i understand that he said we shouldn't make an image but but this cow gives my children something to look at during worship so it's still God but I think this will be easier to worship God if I tweak what he said and you can see how easily it happens you can see how easily it happens um maybe they forgot God's laws maybe maybe that family just got so busy just going and doing and mending tents and making friends down the way in different tribes, that they just forgot to have family devotions. They just forgot to go to Sunday school. They forgot to, oh, we'll do that next year. And their children grew up and didn't know God's word. And they forgot. Um, they forgot that, that God's laws were not things you had to do to become a member of God's family but they were just the family rules. They were the the way we're gonna live with God in a relationship because he had already rescued them from slavery. He had already freed them. He had already said, you're mine, I love you. Now, here's what life is gonna look like and it's gonna be awesome and it's gonna be good and you'll be protected this way and you and I will live together. And they cheated on him. And they just said, ah. So we can we can relate to judges people right I mean I can we make our own rules today too maybe in my own personal life um, you may want your own sexual preferences to rule the day or desires or who you want to have sex with and it's not my husband those kind of decisions uh, maybe it's the way you choose your close friends Um, Maybe it's the person you choose to marry. Um, Maybe it's just how you talk. Do you gossip? Do you cuss? Do you you use your mouth to honor God? Or maybe it's just how you spend your money. Ooh, that's getting meddlesome. That's really, you don't talk about money. And maybe it's what I wear. The other thing you don't talk about. (laughs) You better not tell a girl what to dress like right now. Um, maybe it's how fast you drive. I'm telling you, this is the stuff. When you have the God is king, it starts getting in your business. It starts to matter. We love to put God as king just up in heaven on a cloud, and he just loves us. And he gets that we're just girls down here. And He he's just going to forgive us because he just loves us. And we forget that actually he does love us and... He's put limits on us for our safety and for our good. And we love to blow through them. So that's how we make our own personal right and wrong. But we even do it in the families and a little bit bigger group, not just one person, an individual, but a group of people. Whether it's your extended family, your immediate family, maybe even your friends. Who does the dishes tonight becomes an argument. Maybe you've you're struggling to forgive like your king asks you to. Maybe you would rather hold a grudge. Maybe those white lies don't really bother you. That's how your family's been surviving for years. And does the king have anything to do with that? Maybe it's at work. The king actually rules at work too, like cheating on time sheets, things like that. Maybe just disrespecting your boss, rolling your eyes behind somebody you know things like that but it even can happen in churches we see it today how do we at our church do conflict that one is very interesting to me because in my culture back home you were just nice and you sucked it up and you were nice And there are a lot of nice, bitter women where I'm from. (laughs) Or nice, backbiting women where I'm from. Or nice, I'm not going to go to church anymore women. Things like that. Your niceness is not what your king wants. Your king wants you to sit down and be humble or to risk something in order for there to be peace and love in the church. Maybe, again, how the church spends its money, church's opinions are we easily offended in church do i criticize in church or do i just show up every now and then when it serves my needs have i forgotten that i've vowed to support a community and i'm part of that community and to be part you need to be there but our rules totally outrank king jesus's don't they and that's like the judges we're just like they are Um, There's a song by Sheryl Crow, If It Makes You Happy. And that is what I heard as I was preparing this lesson yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I looked up the lyrics. And it continues, the chorus is, If it makes you happy, then why the hell are you so sad? Mm -hmm. And that could be a tagline. That could have been, somebody could have written that, playing her guitar back in the time of judges. Because that's what we've seen all through it. They got what they wanted, what made them happy, and they were miserable. They were miserable. And so their way of right and wrong led to disaster, and it happens to us today too. You can look and say that about our culture. You can look at that and say about our families and even about our own hearts and how we are struggling, that maybe we've grabbed the thing that would make us happy or not miserable, and yet something's not right. Something is wrong. We're not happy, we're sad. The outcome we saw of this kind of right and wrong choice was in chapter 17, an unlawful worship. That's when the God decided to create his own little cult based on God's religion. And then later in chapter 21, we saw last week's horrific story about murder, and rape, and civil war. That is what getting your own way gives. So personally and collectively, they reaped horrible rewards of being unfaithful to God. And this unfaithfulness didn't didn't just look like I'm gonna have an idol in my bedroom now. Some of it was just complacency. That's what I do a lot of. Um, From complacency to intermarrying with of foreign people or with people that don't love God and don't follow him and allying themselves with these foreigners and in this way God's people cheated on him And this is after he moved them into the most beautiful place Remember if you back up on the Bible and the where judges fits in the big story God saved them from slavery Moved them out said I've got the best thing for you. Remember how I promised your great 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 grandfather Abraham that he was going to have a land and a great people. And Abraham believed me this is the day it comes true. And this is the day where I have a land that you didn't even have to plant. You're just going to walk in. It is like getting a house on like one of those HGTV shows where first the biggest thing they do is they make you clean out your junk (laughs) that's what i'm always like where did all those toys go because i saw those the before pictures are like yeah she needs a big maid is what she needs she needs one of those people that organizes her then her house might not be so bad but anyway i digress so god got them into one of those mansions on hgtv and said here i've already stocked the fridge have your favorite wine in there Oh, by the way, I have the billion count sheets ready. Oh, by the way, you have a pool with salt water and it's heated to the right temperature every day. Whatever you could dream of, I have moved you into that house. And they love it and they walk in and they're loving it. And they might fight a little bit over who has this room and this room, but they live in it. And then they start making friends with the neighbors and they start flirting with that guy next door and that girl next door and before you know it they're having affairs in the bedroom that jesus gave them and that if that doesn't turn your stomach it should and i've been listening to a lot of keller lately on podcasts and one of the things he mentioned that just reminds me of this is we have emotions to things like that because we're made in God's image which means can you imagine his emotions on stuff like that so if if you have been wronged your friends talked behind your back your husband has cheated on you heck if you just talked too long to that really cute young blonde at the Christmas party and you got kind of miffed that feeling ex- think about what it's like in a, an eternal perfect God who has emotions and God should have been offended. And that leads us to our second point of Judges 2 when it says, what is this you have done? What have you done? My people, my bride, look at this house I gave you. I can't believe you've done this. And if you keep reading, he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. And this is, this is when we see that, that, is, that God's people have sin upon sin. Remember the slinky that goes downhill. That's what we see evil doing in judges so we see sin upon sin but also we see grace upon grace grace upon grace because this is a mess it's bad it's uncomfortable to watch. it's uncomfortable to sit in i like want to move right along to the book of ruth right now okay but yet as gross as it is the remedy is so amazing because it's a bigger and bigger grace and God's grace is always bigger than the sin. Um, Here again Keller has, has pointed out that we have this tension and I mentioned this in our first lesson that there's this tension that we watch in Judges and we actually watch it until we see Jesus at the cross that okay, is God gonna still stick with his people? or do they mess it up? And so his love really is conditional. In a certain way, we've seen it be so unconditional. It's so unconditional. We don't deserve him to pursue us. We don't pursue for him to love us. We don't, pursue, we don't deserve for him to care about us and to rescue us over and over and over. And we see this with God's people through the rest of the Old Testament from Judges on, we just see mess after mess and God coming in and out. And finally you go, Have we pushed it too far? That it's God is just too holy. He's too holy and He's too hurt to keep on loving this people. Will we be too much for God? And that is the tension that we kind of live in as we watch this happen in Judges. We need a hero. The book ends um, with this theme repeated a couple of times, especially, and it's linked to, they were, they were doing everything they thought was right. Everything was, everybody was right in their own eyes. Um, that morality that we talked about earlier, that's tied to, in those days, there was no king in Israel. There's something missing here that could help. And it's somebody to, to unite them to follow, God's kingdom rules, the family rules. Um, And we see this with those judges, right? We see God sending in rescuers, redeemers, uh, people who will come in, push back the enemy, get them back on track. They stay on track as long as that guy or girl is alive. We have really unlikely heroes. Uh, Ehud, if you remember, was left-handed, remember him? Deborah and Jael were uh, women. And they were not the usual suspects for leading people or being the hero of the song, singing about the defeated enemy. Barak had like a need, a confidence need. Um, Gideon, smallest of the smallest, weak, kept on asking God for more information, kept on saying, Are you sure? Things like that. Jephthah, he just wasn't very Christian at all. He'd sacrifice his daughter for crying out loud. And then Samson, need I say more? I mean, that lesson is still fresh. Selfish, broke vows, just a hedon, just hedonistic, just awful, womanizer. And Hebrews 11 comments on at least four of these people about how strong they were because they had faith in God. Very unlikely heroes. We would not praise them Yet we are so much like them. I love how God puts so many unlikely heroes in the Bible. And Judges is no different. Because their sins are our sins. Their fears are our fears. Their smallness is our smallness. But they were never meant. God never meant. He didn't say to his angels, Hey, I think I'm going to fix these Israelites. I'm going to send down Ehud. Oh, Ehud wasn't good enough. I think i'll send some let's try a girl this time let's do deborah oh uh, deborah died uh let's see what how about gideon no this was not like you know option one are judges these judges and you see this throughout scripture and i so wish we could just like sit and just look at scripture all together at one time and condense it all to how this happens throughout but literally i guess that's what eternity is for because we literally don't have time to do it Um, Just how God um, God has a plan of salvation And everything From Genesis 3 When he announces That that this savior will crush Satan's head From that moment on All the scripture is pointing to the hero The real hero And these little heroes Are shadows of what That that real hero will be Because that is Jesus He is the only person who can fix this problem. And no matter how awesome our judges are, and they couldn't have fixed it forever because they couldn't fix what was really wrong, which was the heart. Um, none of these heroes could keep the peace forever because they died. We need a person who lives forever. We need a permanent solution. But like these judges, our hero is very unlikely. That's why people didn't recognize him. That's why people didn't like him. He wasn't strong. He wasn't strapping and good looking. He didn't, you know, he wasn't like uh, could fight off the Romans. He couldn't inaugurate a new, you know, government on earth. That wasn't actually what his plan was. It was actually much bigger. He was very unlikely. He was he was poor. He wasn't good looking. He was from Nazareth of all places, and he was not politically connected. But if you look at Isaiah 56, and that's on your handout, he was also not like these judges in a good way. And he is the only way that we will resolve that tension of is can we push God too far? So let's read Isaiah 56. Um, I'm going to start in verses 12. uh, And I'll read through 20 So just I want you to hold The whole book of Judges in the back of your mind These things as we read this Okay Um, For our transgressions are multiplied Before you and our sins testify Against us for our transgressions Are with us and we know our iniquities Transgressing and denying The Lord and turning back From following our God Speaking oppression and revolt Conceiving and uttering From the heart lying words Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled into the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Okay, that describes how Judges' culture was. That describes our culture today. So what happens? The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Who's going to solve this problem? Then his own arm brought salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries repayment to his enemies to the coastlands he will render repayment so they shall fear the name of the lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun and he will come like a rushing stream which the wind the lord drives and a redeemer will come to zion to those in jacob who turn from transgression declares the lord very king-like language about the Messiah that will come, okay? So, some people read uh, the Bible and think, God, They this is from Keller, they just have a very liberal view of God. God just is gonna love us. Love is gonna make it all work out in the end. How could God not love? God is love. Yes, we mess up. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, I dress this way, and yes, I speed, and yes, I do cuss. God is going it's just gonna be okay. God, God overlooks that because I'm so cute. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but that's how we that's kind of how we act, you know. God, God loves me, you know, just like I do with my kids. Yeah. I love you. So yeah, whatever, you're a mess. But then there's another swing to the other side of God is gonna get you. You're a bad person. God can never love you. You look at what you've done. That stain is on you, that shame is on you. You keep on gossiping. You keep on losing money that way. You keep on snapping at your children. You keep on holding that grudge against your boss. You're never gonna be loved. And you have these two things of, can God love someone like me? And God is gonna love me no matter what. And we, again, in that judge's tension, what is God gonna do with a people that don't care what he thinks. And Jesus is the only person get, that can, can resolve that issue. Because like we saw in Judges, God couldn't help it. He loves them so much, and their miserable cries for, of pain, he rushed in over and over. He couldn't help it. But yet, yeah, God is so holy. We can't even sit in how holy he is. It's so undoing, unnerving to us. And if you read Psalm 85 verse 10 through 11, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. This is a verse pointing to the cross. God is holy and can't not be holy. He can't overlook anything as small as speeding anything as big as murder he can't overlook it he he's it's like and this is stupid but he's allergic to it he literally his character cannot be in the same room with something that gross it is like if someone wanted you know uh i'm trying to think of the grossest thing in your mind the grossest thing you can think of could you snuggle against it no An open, dissected squirrel. I don't know why that popped into my mind. But right now, that's where I've watched too many reels. I saw a reel of a chipmunk in the girl's hair, and now there's a new horror for me to consider. Okay, God cannot do it. I don't care how much he loves you. He can't do it. And yet, his love is as strong as his holiness. And he's in a pickle. And Jesus says, I will take care of the pickle. I will take the... I will take your reaction to the dissected squirrel so you can love this people. And he takes it and all the horror of that horrible sin and he says, give it to me so that you can be released to love this bride and this people. And, and just if you look at that whole psalm that that verse is in, it's talking about favor of the land, it's blessing. It's so that we, not only that God's love can be unleashed, but that we can feel that love and that we can have blessing because of that love. And since Jesus was fully God and fully man, he is able to do this. He's able to make the sacrifice. He has the currency to pay off the debts we owe. And he is also in love with us and he's willing to go that distance. And this was always the plan. From before time began, and we can talk about that in another Bible study, it is hard to understand, before we were even a twinkle in God's eye, Jesus said, I'll do it. I will make this work. And that's why it works, because God himself, like in that Isaiah passage, where is the man that can fix this? And God says, I will be that man. Jesus says, I will be the man that fixes this. My arm will do this. Give me my royal robes and my battle gear and I'm going to go kill sin and rescue this people of ours so that we could live together. This is the king that we're about to celebrate in Advent. This is why he came. This is why he came to die that death, to pay that price. And it's the one we're looking for. We're in our own dark time, just like the people of Judges were in, just like God's people were for so long, looking for a Messiah, looking for the answer to this dilemma. And Jesus comes on the scene. Those angels sing that song to the shepherd and no wonder they were excited. Finally, the King is born. The King is coming. And the one that God says we need to combat. I just want to be happy and do what I think's right. And the fear of have I run off God. We have the solution. He is here. But not only. This is what's really. Just, just when you're just laid out going. I can't believe this is God. Just when you think it's great. It gets better. Because this king is single. And he wants you as a bride. And you're like wait a minute it's one thing to be ruled by a king that's strong and good and protects me it's another one to be in an intimate relationship with that king that's what he wants i do not understand it i don't understand why god couldn't just be good enough to save us and just to let us live like little people in his kingdom but no he says my people are my bride and I paid for that gorgeous white dress that she's going to wear at the wedding feast. We are too ugly sometimes to be a bride, aren't we? I need that. I, if I showed up for my wedding, for this kind of wedding, if God's church showed up for this kind of wedding, what would we wear? It would be gross. We'd be wearing Dissected squirrel outfits, okay (laughs) picture that. It's not a good look. It's not it's not going to be on the runway But Jesus's blood clothes us. He says, oh I'm washing you and boy, I've got a dress that Vera Rang would cry over No more shame of messed up marriages No more shame of mistakes in parenting being ugly on a text thread in front of all your friends, being ugly at Thanksgiving dinner in front of all your family, maybe the shame of, of a painful past, things that were done to you, things that you have done to others, facing an uncertain future. All these things, he says, take that off. I am clothing you to be my bride. So let's read Isaiah 62, also in your handout, verses 1 through 6. In the hand of your God, you shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married for as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice Over you. You get to be the king's bride, dressed in royal robes, things that he paid for. So, in this uh, podcast I was listening to by Keller, it's kind of funny because he's talking about how there are only a couple of times in your life, well, none of us, because we're not boys, where you're the groom or the best man. And your viewpoint is you get to see that, you know, when the bride, everybody wants to look and see when the bride comes in that back center aisle door. And, and you want to see what she's wearing. You want to see her smile. You want to see, you know, the professional makeup job, whatever it is that she's done to that you never do. You never, I mean, the, I think one of the first times, this is how backwoodsy I grew up. I got a manicure for my wedding. Like that was so special for me. Like. I did things I didn't normally do for my wedding day. And Keller says, preachers, though, get to see it all the time. The preacher sees bride after bride after bride after bride. And one of the things he commented on, which was really risky, he says, you know, even, and he said it nicely, even the plainest of women look gorgeous on their wedding day. It's because they're dressed. And in every culture, it's like this. You just look special. You look gorgeous. And I, I've seen it. There are women that may not be model worthy. But that day, they're the prettiest woman in the room. Aren't they? They're just gorgeous. That's how we are to Jesus. And that bridegroom, he said, can barely stand in his spot. He has never seen her like this. He has never seen her like dressed like this looking so gorgeous and it and it's all for him and she's coming toward him and he wants to, you could just see those groomsmen like it's when you kind. you I love watching the groom's face well first I can't see her because everybody's standing up I wish everybody would stay seated like you could used to do but no because I want to see but that's that's not in the bible um but but I usually you can see the groom's face and you see that tough guy about to bawl where you see a smile. That energy is what it is like when Jesus comes back and we are ready to get married. The church is the bride. We are that bride. And he can barely stand in his shoes without running to grabbing us. And we are gorgeous. We are not only wanted by him, but literally The mess that we are, these people in Judges, the people in Kings, everybody through Scripture that has been horrible and forgiven are gorgeous. That is a miracle, and that is the gospel, and that is the King we serve. And yes, the world says it is so much easier to do it their way, but their way ends in disaster, and our way ends in a wedding where we get to be gorgeous and loved and then the world is perfect from then on i just want to close this with revelation one revelation talks about this end feast and it's on the front of your handout just to say king jesus is getting that feast ready for us and the pain we have right now is him weaving things to make us more gorgeous for our wedding day Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Bridegroom Jesus, we bow. We fall on our faces because we cannot even fathom this kind of love. And thank you, Jesus, for taking the shame that would keep us from experiencing this kind of love. And we just, we, we just, there are no words except, please, Father, let each woman leaving here feel this love. Feel this kind of purpose. Feel this kind of beauty. Feel, feel who you see her as. And our brokenness, yes, as we go back to our carpools and our workplaces and our family drama, Lord Jesus, it is going to be all okay. Because you rule, because you're our king, and because you are coming back for your bride. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.